0: This morning we're looking at uh, part of the life of Matthew Henry, but in particular Matthew Henry and the practice of prayer. We did look at Henry a couple of years ago along with his father. But he's best known for his commentary on the whole Bible which was researched from his years of expository preaching and his knowledge of Hebrew, Greek, Latin and French, just like our education. He died, though, after finishing Acts. He fell from his horse and the remainder of his commentary was completed by friends from his notes. I was given a copy of Matthew Henry's commentary when I was in Sydney by a man who was a very godly man uh, whose wife had terminal illness and she eventually died and uh, he was the sort of man who uh, and the only one that ever has but I'm not dropping hints about it because it's too late but uh, he used to ring Jenny on her birthday every year uh, and pray for her over the phone even when we moved to South Australia and give verses of scripture. So he gave me this copy of Matthew Henry during the 1970s and it's a great volume and you can still obtain it so I'd encourage you on that George Whitfield often read through Henry's commentaries on scripture during his own devotions just a brief look at the 17th century monarchs which we do each time Uh, but this time because of Henry's birth date We start with Charles II who came to the throne in 1660 followed by James II who was deposed and was the last Roman Catholic monarch. And then his 15 year old Protestant daughter Mary II married William of Orange known in Northern Ireland and Scotland as King Billy. He was invited to take the English throne and was installed in 1689. There was the Battle of Boyne north of Dublin in 1690 where James was defeated and exiled to France and protected by Louis XIV. Mary died 1694 and William in 1702. And then because of uh, Henry's age, we meet Queen Anne who was Queen of England, Scotland and Ireland from 1702 to 1714. In 1707, there was the act of union between Scotland and England and this formed Great Britain. 1710, St Paul's Cathedral was completed by Sir Christopher Wren. Queen Anne was followed by her third cousin, George of Hanover. And this is where the German link came into the British royalty. George III, 1714 to 1727, so he was a little bit later. The composers, J.S. Bach, Handel, Isaac Watts, we sang one of his hymns this morning, Then the Great Plague of London in 1665 and 66, the Great Fire of London, Mount Vesuvius in 1666. And I've added the two other theologians which were vital in the 17th century, John Owen and John Bunyan. I hope you've all been able to obtain a copy of Pilgrim's Progress and to read it more than once. You can get it in modern form, but the old language is really great. John Owen is not easy to understand at all, particularly not in the original. Uh, But uh, as J.I. Packer, who studied a lot of Owen's work, said, you can obtain the modern translations of Owen's work and they're well worth it. Then there was the great ejection which we've mentioned before that after the restoration of Charles II you've got St Bartholomew's Day on August 24, 1662 which was so serious it was called Black Bartholomew in co-sequence of the Acts of Uniformity passed by Parliament in May of that year and of course more than 2,000, probably 2,500 plus ministers were ejected were expelled from their churches, their residence their incomes because they would not conform to the use of the Book of Common Prayer as the uniform order for worship in the Church of England. Now why did they do that? There were several reasons but the the Book of Common Prayer in the early days was regarded as being too much like the Roman Catholic Missal Uh, and they wanted to have this clear cut separation between Roman Catholicism and Protestantism. Uh, There's no suggestion that the Book of Common Prayer is like that today, but there was a very strong feeling about it in those days. Well, what about Matthew Henry? He was an English Puritan born in 1662, a few weeks after his father was ejected from the Church of England ministry and therefore lost his pulpit for not conforming to the prescribed forms of worship. Matthew was born in a Welsh farmhouse in Flintshire. Educated mainly by his father, he was reading the Bible to himself when only three years of age. That's good parental guidance for him. He studied law, But God had other plans. And from 1686, age 24, until 1712, after Presbyterian ordination, he pastored in Chester. The church began in private homes, but grew to over 350. Now, I presume that they didn't all meet in the same home, but we just don't know. Henry sometimes rose at 4 a.m., often studying eight hours a day. There's an encouragement to anyone who wants to be a preacher. His first wife died in childbirth and three children from his second wife died in infancy. Infant mortality was was all over the place in those days. There was barely a family that didn't suffer from that and uh, it was a continual crying out to God for these situations, but they were burying children one after another. It was really hard going. In 1700, a meeting house was built for him in Crook Lane, and a gallery added six years later, as another church group had joined them. So communicants, numbered 350, So it was a large house. Matthew also held monthly services at five neighbouring villages plus regular preaching to prisoners in the castle. He published a method for prayer with scripture expressions proper to be used under each head. That's a rather long title which wouldn't generally be accepted today but it was telling the story. That was in 1710 and it went through more than 30 editions so it was very popular. Now what I want to do this morning is is change our usual pattern. We're not just talking about what happened in history but what Matthew Henry gave to us in his writings. I don't know how popular these uh, things are that I'm going to mention but I'm convinced after all my years in pastoral ministry that prayer is the missing note in church life in the life of most Christian believers and we are not taught about prayer we are not taught how to pray we are not taught the significance of prayer it might be said well you need to pray okay but what do I say how do I start and you listen to some prayers and I must confess that I shudder when I hear them because there's, there's nothing there. It's as if God was the guy living next door instead of a holy God. The way we commence our church services is also a significant. I'm old enough to, to be uh, complaining about some of these things as I look back over the years. You hear people say, well, welcome this morning. No, we're here to meet a holy God, not welcome as if it was a football match. Uh, you can welcome one another. But the people in the pulpit, and that's, it's not a, a more sacred place than anything else, but it's sacred in the sense of whoever's leading the congregation in worship to realise that God is holy and we are there to meet him and we need to be addressed by the truth of his word both in the leading of a service or in the preaching of the word instead of personal stories which you could often have brought to you. There's no place for personal stories in the pulpit as far as I'm concerned. It's a matter of God's word. That's what people need. And that's what we must come to grips with. So Henry has brought to us, firstly, directions for praying all day. Henry wrote in his diary, I love prayer. It is that which buckles on the Christian's armour. You know the Christian's armour is talked about in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Since the Christian must wear God's armour at all times, he must pray without ceasing. Well, the scripture says pray without ceasing. Then followed eight brief guides, including four scripture references from his writing, which was called the Covenant of Grace. Since God has made himself available to us in such rich fullness, we must go to God throughout the day. Henry wrote, David solemnly addressed himself to the duty of prayer three times a day as Daniel did. Morning and evening and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. David wrote that in Psalm 55 verse 17. Nor did he think that was enough. Quoting Psalm 119.164 Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. And to emphasise this truth Henry wrote three discourses of directions for prayer. So what do we learn from this? we can pray at any time I was a bit surprised many years ago when we lived in Sydney I met a, a guy that was regarded as famous pra- preacher, now I don't think any preacher is famous but at any rate he was well known and we were talking about prayer and he said to me I, as I walk around the house or around the street I pray and I'd never heard that before and I thought what a good idea because the Bible doesn't say you close your eyes to pray. And you wouldn't want to close your eyes if you were walking around the street. So we can pray at all times. We're driving along in the car. You don't close your, close your eyes then either. You pray. The Father is always with us. We never ask him to be with us. You hear some, some people say, Lord, we, we ask that you'll be with us today. That's nonsense. He is with us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He is our saviour, our father, our friend. And so we talk to him. And it's there is a place at times to prepare for prayer. But there's also occasions when we rush into his presence because of the urgency that we're facing. And that's quite legitimate. So let's look at Matthew Henry's directives. Directive 1, begin each day with prayer. Psalm 5 verse 3. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and look up. So there's a direction in prayer. It doesn't hit the wall and bounce back. He says, I will direct my prayer to thee. Henry wrote, it is our wisdom and duty to begin every day with God. He sought to motivate us to prayer and remind us that we can pray with assurance for, quote, wherever God finds a praying heart, he will be found a prayer-hearing God. If we pray to God as Father through Christ, the mediator according to God's will revealed in the Bible. Then we can know that he has heard us and will answer according to his kindnesses. God requires us to pray to remind us of his authority over us and his love and compassion toward us. We always have something to talk to God about. I am I'm far from talking like this with us this morning as if I've got all the answers to prayer or as if I'm a great man of prayer. I battle personally in prayer. Um, It's so easy for the mind to be distracted to go off in other areas and we think, oh goodness, what's happened? I can't kneel to pray now. Uh, It's just not physically possible for me if I get down I won't get up but prayer prayer doesn't have to be in a particular posture but it's good to be as comfortable as you can if you unless you're walking around that's a different matter all of us probably battle in prayer because the devil is one who doesn't want us to talk to God at all And he will put every obstacle, particularly mental obstacles, in our way to stop us praying. So we need to persist. We need to be determined. We need to press on in the areas of prayer. We've probably all had the situation if we're parents, we've spoken to our children and we say later on, did you hear what I said to you? Huh? Oh, did you say something to me? Uh, We can go through that. Well, it's a bit like that with God, isn't it? But God does hear what we say to him. And so we persist. Now, Henry continues then, Let no obstacle hinder you from coming to God. He will hear your cries from the depths. Psalm 130 verse 1 out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Though God be fearsome, he grants believers the spirit of adoption to have freedom with him. We have been adopted into his family. That's the wonderful truth of it all. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear. But ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now Abba, of course, was that affectionate word for father that was used by Jewish children in their home. The fact that we can cry to Abba, Father. There was a time some years ago when you heard people talking to God as Daddy. Don't have a bar of that. That's absolute rubbish. He is Abba, but he is Father. God's name is Father, not just God. He is Lord, but his name is not just Lord. He is Father. That's what what we call the Lord's Prayer, says our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name his name is holy that's the one to whom we come so God already knows what you need but he requires your prayers for his glory and to fit you to receive mercy now he refers in this section to Ezekiel 36 verses 37 and 38 When I look this up, it's an interesting passage. Uh, Part of it has to do with God's promise, I will put my spirit within you, talking to his people. The promise of God to Israel, who was always getting it wrong, unlike us who generally get everything right. Israel was always getting, always in trouble. I will put my spirit within you. And 37 and 38, and this time I'm reading from the modern translation, the ESV, Thus says the Lord God, This also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. So God is giving permission for the house of Israel, the people of Israel, to ask him to increase their people like a flock to increase the people of God like the flock for sacrifices like the flock of Jerusalem during her appointed feasts so shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of people there's the promise, God says yes I'll fill them with flocks of people then they will know that I am the Lord and it's that last sentence that is the key to what God is saying to them they're praying for help God says yes I'll increase your people but it's in order that they will know that I am the Lord not just to increase the people the, the aspect of prayer is always to give honour and glory to him it's significant that the next chapter in Ezekiel talks about the valley of dry bones let these bones live which is the ministry of God's spirit to his people and to us so he finishes this little section by telling us though you are busy with many things only one thing is necessary to walk with God in peace and love there's not one of us who's not busy even if we're busy sitting there and resting the mind doesn't stop there's always something to do you never get to the end of the the calls to do things at home and whether it's a hobby or whether it's some other purpose that we need to address we, we have plenty to do we have to make time, therefore, for what Matthew Henry is telling us. Then there's directive two. Spend every day with God. Henry wrote, referenced in Psalm 25, verse 5, on thee do I wait all the day. We wait on God all the time, which doesn't mean like we wait for a train or a bus or something like that it's not that sort of wait but realise that he is with us and we wait upon him we come to him and we rest in him Henry said this waiting involves a patient expectation of God to come in mercy at his time and a constant attendance upon the Lord in the duties of personal worship Now, a patient expectation. Do we have expectation when we pray that God will answer? Yes, according to his will and his time, but that he will answer in personal worship. The saints need patient expectation. For they, oh, who are the saints? Every Christian is a saint, you don't have to become a saint every believer is a saint, is a holy person the saints need patient expectation for they often wait through long, dark stormy days for God to answer their prayers That's true isn't it, many of us have been praying for years about a particular situation or a person or whatever it is and the long storms like we had the big thunderstorm last night, which reminds us that God's still around and He's in charge, but it's in His time according to His purposes. But they wait in hope, and hope is a certainty. The Christian's attendance upon God throughout the day is captured in the phrase to wait upon the Lord. to wait on God is to live a life of desire toward him, delight in him, dependence on him, and devotedness to him. So we he used his dictionary for a number of D's there to remind us of what's happening: delight, dependence, devotedness. He wrote, We should spend our days desiring God like a beggar constantly looking to his benefactor, hungering not only for his gifts but for he who is the bread of life. To wait upon God for himself, not for what he can give us. He does give us, he feeds us because he's the bread of life. He feeds us with what he knows we need. We should live in the light of God, like a lover with his beloved. Do we love to love God? Now that's a, a pertinent question. Do we love, Not he doesn't say do we love God. He says do we love to love God? That's a more intimate situation. Constant dependence is the attitude of a child towards his father on whom he trusts and on whom he casts all his cares. Are you burdened with cares? Well, who isn't? Well, Henry says, cast them on the Lord. God is there. Let him have them. But I still got to, yes, you still got to face the issues. But to know that God takes the heavy end of the load makes all the difference. The glory of God should be the ultimate goal of all your work. It's amazing how often in scripture it's the glory of God seen in the face of Jesus Christ but the glory of God which is our ministry. To give him glory it's a it's a word that has the understanding of a weight about it, the weight of glory. To, to pour it on him but look for that glory which we don't see with our physical eyes but we see through the words of scripture as his spirit works amongst us. Are you tempted to follow another way? Well, of course we are. Then shelter yourself under his grace. Are you suffering? Well, we all suffer at times. Submit to his will and trust the love behind his fatherly corrections. Now, that's not easy. We go through suffering. I sometimes wonder about people who say, well, will you pray for me? I'm going through a rough time. What sort of a rough time? Oh, well... um, you know there's the children and or there's my parents or there's the neighbors or something and there are some issues in life which we can talk to God about but which is part of our own growth we we're, we're not into the escape business sometimes our prayers are hoping that we can escape from the reality of what we face now I don't find that in scripture I find that What about Daniel? Daniel didn't pray that God would stop him going into the lion's den. He went into the lion's den and he didn't know, according to what we read in Scripture, that the lions weren't interested in him because God stopped their mouths. And there's a variety of stories in the Scriptures that prove the fact of people having to face the reality and are not escapists, We are not in the business of trying to run away from what we face. We face it in the knowledge that God is with us in those situations and he will guide us in whatever it happens to be. Now, Some people, there's no suggestion of being silly. You don't stand on a railway track saying, well, the train's coming but God's going to get me out of here. Uh, He'll only get you out of there by death, that's all. That the, the things that we face in our families and our personal life we can be stimulated by the reality of who God is. So we need to ask ourselves at times not only who am I <clears throat> but who is God? Who is my father? What is he like? Do I know what he's like? Or do I just skim the surface? Do I know God? Now that you never graduate from that. You never get to the point of saying, well I know enough about God, I can move on to something else. You never know enough about the scriptures. There is always something new that he brings to us when we read it and we read it with the desire to know, to understand, not just the desire to turn over the next page. There has to be that desire, that concentration within us. Now you find people who say, oh, I'm no good at that sort of thing. I, I didn't do well at school and I never went to uni and I, I, you know, it's all right for you. No, it's not a matter of that. When you look at the disciples, they were very ordinary guys, weren't they? Paul apparently went to university, so we're told, but none of the disciples did, they could fish or they could do other bits and pieces and they were very common, ordinary blokes as we might say, why did Jesus pick them? Well you'll have to ask him one day but he he chose them and more importantly, why did he choose us? He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to know him to be with him, to come to, to, to understand what the word is saying to us. Is your mind caught up in hopes or fears about the future? Well, that's a constant, isn't it? There are some people who are so worried about what's going to happen. No good worrying, it's going to happen in any case. Just trust God in the midst of it. Wait on God, he says, who rules over life and death, good and evil. In addition, Henry called us to family worship in which we train our households in godliness. The old word is catechesis, if I've pronounced it right. The catechism, which um, we need to to, to train our children, our families, train ourselves in. He categorised his children in the afternoon and taught the older children after the little ones went to bed. He considered family worship as a time for the whole family to come to God in prayer, seeking his blessing, thanking him for his mercies and bringing him fractures in our relationships so he might heal them. Then he adds, do not waste time reading unprofitable books. So many unprofitable books around the place. Some of them, so-called Christian books, are most unprofitable also. They're just fiddly-dee things that aren't worth, you need to get your teeth into some solid stuff. I've had sometimes with a smile but <clears throat> encouraging people to read Calvin's Institutes what What? What? would I want to read that for do you the world of good to wrestle with that it's, there's a new version being translated from French so uh, I encourage you to do it now directive 3 close every day with God And he refers to Psalm 4 verse 8, I will both lay down, lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. We may end our days in contentment if we have the Lord as our God. Having God to be our God in covenant, we have enough. We have all. God has initiated covenant with us, not contract. There's no contract from God. It is covenant. And though the gracious soul still desires more of God, it never desires more than God. Now that's a sentence worth pondering. Though the gracious soul still desires more of God, it never desires more than God. So you can't go beyond God anyway. But there are people who say Well yeah I think God's gone on holidays I need this that or the other It is in him It reposeth itself for the perfect Complacency In him it is at home It is at rest When we lay down to rest at night Henry advised us to lie lie Down with thanksgiving to God We should review His mercies and deliverances At the end of each day Now some of us Um might be thinking yeah it's alright for you Uh, I find it hard to sleep I toss and turn, I wake up and I'm awake for hours I'm this that and the other Uh, my confession is that I'm on such heavy drugs that I I sleep at night quite well but what do you do with the hours or the time that you're not sleeping well pray or if if it's really kept you awake, grab the Bible and read it. No harm in going to sleep reading the Bible, even if the light is left on. It's a matter of using those difficult times which which we can go through and and understand, not I'm not going to toss and turn and think about everything else under the sun and all be worried and fretful and wake up tomorrow in absolute fit. Use the time for prayer and reading the scriptures. Bedtime often offers an opportunity to reflect upon our death and Christian hope. Now one of the things we've said about the Puritans is their very strong belief if you're not ready to die you're not ready to live. So I would encourage you to think about your death. Are you ready for it? Is your family ready for it? As ready as you can be. You don't know when it's going to come but it's not a matter of age, it's not a matter even of illness, it's a matter of it's going to come, and God has his time, and he doesn't necessarily let us know when it's going to be. It's uh, something that he works through, and uh, Neil's done some good work on preparing for death, uh, which was taped some years ago. Uh, it's, It's part of life, it's not, oh, I don't want to think about that. Well, we need to think about it because the men and women in the Bible were faced with it as well. Henry encouraged us to think that just as we retire from work for a time when we go to bed, so we shall retire for a time in death until the day of resurrection. That's what we look forward to. The great resurrection. And people say oh I'll, I'll see my family well the Bible doesn't say that what the Bible says is we shall see Christ and seeing Christ everything works through Paul says I have this de- desire to be with Christ and it, that's the emphasis not, not our family not our loved ones it is Christ because he alone is the answer according to the scriptures. Just as we take off our clothes at night, so we will put off this body until we receive a new one, the morning of Christ's return. No more pills to take, by the way. Probably no wearing of glasses or hearing aids either. Just as we lie down in our beds to rest, so we will lie down in death to rest in Christ's presence, where no night- nightmares can trouble us. Henry's focus on death was not unhealthy morbidity, but a realistic consideration in a fallen world where many people die each day with or without the Christian hope that extends beyond this life to eternal glory. Certainly there were far more deaths of children, babies uh, in that in his day. Death was all around them, much more than there is today. We, we live longer, to, much longer today, some would say too long, but uh, God is still in charge of all of that. Then we may lie down in peace, resting our soul upon the intercession of Christ to grant us peace with God and forgiving our fellow men of all their offences against us so that our hearts may be at peace with God and man. So Henry then suggested we may fall asleep with thoughts such as these. Now, you can have this with you and talk to yourself. We all talk to ourselves, don't we? So what we say to ourselves is important. But to read this uh, as we seek to go to sleep to thy glory O God I now go to sleep that's wonderful to see that it's for God's glory that we desire to go to sleep whether we eat or drink yea or sleep for this is included in whatever we do we must do it to the glory of God to thy grace O God and to the word of thy grace I now commend myself it is good to fall asleep with a fresh surrender of our whole selves body, soul and spirit to God and now return to God as thy rest, O my soul for he has dealt bountifully with thee and he has. Oh, that when I awake I may still be with God that the parenthesis of sleep though lone may not break off the thread of my communion with God but that as soon as I awake I may resume it so you wake up in the middle of the night or three o'clock in the morning or whatever the time is or talk to God, talk to the Father not just with the desire to go to sleep again that might that might be there somewhere but with the desire to talk to him It's a further opportunity for prayer. And prayer doesn't have to be verbalised. It certainly helps us concentrate when we speak aloud. But we speak to him in our minds, in our hearts, to know that he's there listening. Henry directed the Christian to the wonderful experience of walking with God in prayer throughout the day we are invited to enjoy access to God given us by the gospel of Jesus Christ he referred to Ephesians 2 verse 18 for through him that is Jesus Christ we both have access by one spirit unto the Father now the both you will remember are Jews and Gentiles and Paul's emphasis in that passage is that Jew and Gentile come to God the Father through Christ and they are made one in him. There is no separation, no difference because of our nationality or our colour or anything else. Henry wrote, Prayer is our approach to God and we have access in it. We may come boldly, come to speak all our mind. We may come with freedom. We have access to his ear. It is always open to the voice of our supplications. We have access in all places at all times. We need not wait until heaven to enjoy God. So he's saying we can enjoy him here. And sometimes you've got to press through to do that. It doesn't just, just happen. You don't enjoy a chocolate biscuit by looking at it. You only enjoy it by eating it. So we enjoy God not by, by eating, but by realizing that He is with us and having that intimacy with Him. What's heaven but an everlasting access to God? And present access is a pledge of it. This life of communion with God and constant attendance with Him is a heaven upon earth. And then He goes on to talk about a method for praying the Scriptures. When a Christian devotes himself to prayer, whether privately or publicly, his prayer should be copious and full because his burdens, concerns, needs, desires and sins are many and God's mercies are great. We might need to write down what we want to pray about in case we forget because later on you think, oh, I meant to pray about that and I didn't. So write things down to remind yourself. This commends the use of some method in prayer. Yet there are times when a Christian's heart is so lifted up in prayer that a method would clip his wings. So if that's the case, well just enjoy God. But those times are rare. Ordinarily our prayers require a method for we do not want to speak rashly before the glorious majesty of heaven and earth. The Bible shows us that our prayer should consist of short Clear, potent sentences Interesting way he puts it For example he says the Lord's Prayer to, to pray that rather than a rambling stream of consciousness Or semi-consciousness In which you forget what you're saying before your prayer is even done I think he knew human nature when he wrote that I say the Lord's Prayer every night Um it's not the only prayer, but I, I go through the Lord's Prayer every night realising that I have a Holy Father who is in heaven. That's when I'm in bed by the way, not beforehand. Not before. <laughs> to help us form prayers that are better focused, Henry directs us to the source that is sufficient for every good work, the Holy Scriptures. Hear him speaking to you God's word must be the guide of our desires and the ground of our expectations in prayer. So that when we he's saying when we read the scriptures, we don't just read them, we hear God speaking to us through the through the words that we read. At the heart of God's method is praying God's word back to God. Uh, just to, to add on that how do, you, how do you learn to pray? Well, you learn to pray by praying. Where do you start? How do you begin? Well, the Psalms are a good place to start. To pray, pray through the Psalms. It's a pity we don't still sing the Psalms in church as well and learn a bit more about them. But to pray the Psalms, because that's the prayer book of the church. It's not the only one. Paul's great prayers are another form of, of teaching us how to pray O. Palmer Robertson an American theologian wrote prayer in this form is nothing more and nothing less than what the old Puritans called pleading the promises so the promises of God we, we use in our prayer as a direction. God has made promises to his people his people respond by directing those promises to the Lord in the form of prayer. Henry did not restrict himself entirely to Bible promises. However, Legon Duncan, who's an American Presbyterian scholar, notes of Henry, he ransacks the scriptures for references to God's attributes and turns them into matters of adoration. So the, the, whole, the whole Bible becomes the prayer book that we use. In every respect, Henry sought to fill the mouths of God's people with God's own words. Although he acknowledged that it is convenient and often necessary to use other expressions in prayer besides those that are purely scriptural. Now that's a helpful point because what he's saying is yes, we we use the scriptures we pray the scriptures, we pray the promises. The Bible is our prayer book, that's what we use. But there is more than that because we live in a real world where there are issues that we pray for. So there's nothing wrong. He's, he's, not, he's not pulling down the blind and saying you shouldn't play, pray for your relatives or your family or for your church or situations. But to pray, in, to pray in a way that is positive and constructive and believing from the scriptures, not just as, a, as an extra which is on the circumference. Henry's method included adoration, confession, petition for ourselves, thanksgiving, intercession for others, and conclusion. this, This pattern generally follows what is offered in the Westminster Director for Public Worship, which was put together in 1645. So Henry's great maxim to us today is pray the scriptures that's our prayer book Um, Robert Murray McShane would say turn the Bible into prayer I thought well how do I finish this well why not go back to John Calvin next week uh, this will be an introduction for us next week we're not looking at the Puritans we're going back to the period of the Reformation and uh So we're turning back a hundred years. But Calvin, from his Reformation time, said, We are taught by faith to know that all the goodness which we need and which we ourselves lack is in God and in his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom the Father has placed all the bounty of his blessing and grace so that we may all draw from him as from a most plentiful spring it therefore remains for us to seek from him what we know to be in him now that's a good point to seek from Christ what we know to be in Christ how do we find out what's in Christ? read the scriptures to ask for it in prayer and supplication For to know God as the master, author and dispenser of all good things who invites us to seek them from him, yet not to turn to him or to ask him for anything would get us nowhere. Thus we understand that whatever God invites us to expect from him, we are also commanded to ask for in prayer. It is not for his sake that he has ordained prayer, but for ours, it is, it's for us, it's for us. We must lay aside any thought of our own glory, have done with any belief in self-worth and ceasing to have any confidence in ourselves, let us in our humility and abasement give glory to God. Let us not claim the slightest credit for ourselves Lest in our absurd ignorance we be struck down before Him. So having come to the end of that, it would be good to finish with prayer. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. To my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. O Father, we thank you that in all the turmoil of his life, David was able to write those incredible words. And that's our prayer to you just now. We come in our weakness, our questions, our inabilities, our desire to know you. We pray for each other. We're all in the same boat this morning we all have our struggles we all have our wishes and we all have things that go wrong in our lives so easy to focus on them but help us rather to focus on you (coughs) for you alone are the answer you alone are the one to whom we come a God who is holy and righteous a God who gave your son to be our propitiation, to deal with all of our sin, to cleanse us thoroughly, to give us your Holy Spirit. Father, may we go from here with a holy knowledge that you have spoken to us, spoken not so that we can ever pat ourselves on the back, but spoken so that we know we are in Christ, always in Christ, and that you are working your purposes out in our life. We thank you in our Saviour's name. Amen.